The reading comes from Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Hey, thank you, Ian, for reading. Hey, good morning, Providence. Is everyone doing okay today? All right, we got three people are doing okay. That's good. Hey, welcome here. My name is Jared once again. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Providence, and I think that God has a, a word for us actually to speak from Mark chapter 6, that passage that was just read. I think that God is actually going to speak to us today. Um, and so you can turn in your Bibles there. Uh, we're going to be there in just a second. But before we go there, uh, I want to describe to you uh, what a typical week looks like for me. So a few months ago, I don't know if you remember this, uh, I mentioned that I, uh, uh, about, there's something that happened six years ago where I was praying that I didn't have a job in ministry, and I was praying that God would give me a job in ministry, but also in my prayer was this thing that I prayed that he wouldn't give me a job that required me to preach, okay? A little bit ironic, right? Okay? So I shared that a few months ago, uh, and, and honestly, there's a good reason for that. Like, I'm very thankful that Andrew and I share these duties where we usually can, can switch off and on every other week because it's, it's a little bit difficult. And so this week happens to be, I'm on this Sunday and I'm on next Sunday. And so this is kind of what it looks like, a preaching week for me. So on Sunday, what's going to happen is after the service, uh, it's going to be glorious, okay? Afterwards, because I'm going to be basking in the fact that hopefully God did something amazing in our presence, or I'll be basking in the fact that 
I'm done, and I didn't screw up anything terribly during the service, or at least so I hope. Well, and so that, that's my Sunday. I come into Monday, and I'm feeling, okay, a little bit tired, but what we do is we get together as a staff team on Monday, and we work through the passage together, and that's coming up for the next week, and so we're going to do that tomorrow. And what usually happens is we'll get there, we'll start doing some Bible study, and people will start coming up with these great truths, these great gems, things that we could tweet out that would be these amazing things, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm going to kill this thing on Sunday. It's going to be great. These people are going to be eating out of my hands. They're going to love it. I'm going to blow people away. And then Tuesday and Wednesday come. I do a little studying, but it's still days off, and it's not that big a deal. And then it comes to Thursday, and that's writing day. In the morning, I'll get to the coffee shop. I'll open up my laptop. I'll open up Microsoft Word, and it's time to write. And is complete writer's block. Like, I can't get anywhere. All the thoughts that I had in my head, I can't think of one thing to say. And so I sit there for hours, and I wring my hands, and I run my hands through my hair. And I'm like, I, I got nothing. This is terrible. And, and what happens is usually in the afternoon on Thursday, I try to write a sermon on Thursday because I actually take Fridays off. So I'm trying to finish it by the end of the day. And sometime in the afternoon, I start just kind of forcing something onto paper. And, and maybe by the end of the day Thursday, uh, I'll, I'll get to a point uh, where maybe I'll have like a half a sermon written, which I consider a victory, until I go and I'm ready to go home for the day. And I'm like, you know what, I should probably read through this again before I actually like go home. And I'll open it up and I'll read through a few pages. And inevitably, every single time I read through my first draft and I think, this is horrible. Like, no one is going to want to read this, or or no one's going to want to listen to this. And so then what proceeds to happen is on Friday and Saturday, I go into this dark place, and I think, I'm the worst at this. No one's ever going to listen to me. They're going to be so bored on Sunday. Like, no, there is no way that God could use me through anything that is written down on this paper. And Saturday morning, I usually get to the point where I'm like, well, it's, it's tomorrow morning. It's just going to be a Hail Mary. I'm just going to throw the thing up in the air, and hopefully when it's coming down by the grace of God, somebody can catch something, a nugget of truth or something. And then, thankfully, what happens most weeks is that on Saturday at some point, God starts giving some sort of inspiration or clarity, and things start to make a little bit more sense. And and by that time, and by the time I get here on Sundays, I'm actually excited and anticipating this time, but it's not without pain because I feel woefully inadequate to do this. And you would think that after maybe your first dozen sermons or so, maybe you would get used to it. No, still inadequate. You think that maybe, well, this is a church plant, you know, it's a smaller crowd and, and, and these are my people, so it's going to be easy. No, it's still woefully inadequate every single week. And in the passage today, we are going to find a crew of people that find themselves to be completely inadequate. Not capable of doing what Jesus was asking them to do. And I can't uh, help but really relate to these guys, these disciples in the story who are inadequate. Because I feel like this kind of describes my life. And I'm thinking that for the majority of you, there are numerous areas of life where you actually feel inadequate as well. I mean, some of us, as we're married and we feel inadequate as a husband or a wife, or we're parents. We feel inadequate as parents. We can't do this. Or some of you are leading city groups and you're like, I, I can't do this. Or maybe just in the area of being a, a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. You're like, man, this is, 
this is hard. I can't do this. Maybe you feel inadequate in work or school or maybe in the area of evangelism or discipleship. The list goes on and on. Am I depressing people yet, by the way? This is, this is getting better. So I think that more often than not, we walk around thinking about the ways that we are inadequate rather than walking around with our chest held high and thinking, hey, I'm killing it in every area of life. I think we tend toward the former. And I think that it is in this place of of kind of being overwhelmed and sometimes stressed and anxious that we're going to find out that Jesus has a purpose. And in this passage, we're going to learn that Jesus never intended to make us mature into adequacy, but rather it is in our inadequacies that create the perfect recipe for us to rely on Jesus as our Lord. And it's in our inadequacies that we rely on Jesus and that he can do work through us. It creates the perfect recipe. So providence as a church, as we look at our own maybe personal inadequacies or inadequacies as a church, we have a choice and we could uh, get scared and fearful and run the other direction and run to comfort and ease and try to escape this. Or we can embrace these things and we can allow them to push us further into Jesus, to focus on him, to hit our knees in prayer. And I think that, that if we start doing that, I'm convinced that we're going to start seeing Jesus work around us more clearly. We're going to start hearing his voice more clearly than we've heard it before. Our, the level of intimacy in our relationship with Jesus is going to be like something we never heard before. And I think we might see things in our church, God working in tremendous ways that we just weren't expecting. And so my hope for this morning is that we start down that road, that we move a little further down that road as we hear the truths from Mark 6 today. So, In our passage today, let me catch you up on the background before we hop into the story. So Jesus, once again, is the central figure, as he always is in Mark. But what happens is the disciples have started to to change their role a little bit. Before, the disciples were kind of like glorified bodyguards of Jesus. They're kind of following around, maybe keeping the crowds from smothering him. And in in this chapter, in chapter 6, he sends them out for the first time to do ministry themselves. And so they go out and they, uh, they heal some people, they cast out some demons, they, they preach, you know, everyday stuff that disciples do, I guess. But, but they, they go out there and uh, they do this, they're tired, they're exhausted, and they're coming back. And in this scene, we find Jesus uh, is, is welcoming, welcoming them back and he's going to debrief with them. Or he's going to try to get away and rest with them. And in this point, Jesus' adequacy meets their inadequacy. That's our big idea for today. So let's look back at Mark 6.30. Let's start at the beginning of this story. Mark 6 verse 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. Now, we have to pause for a second and talk about this passage because this is probably one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Like, if you open up a children's Bible, you will very clearly see this story. They talk about it all the time. If you, uh, if you go into a Sunday school class, uh, kids in a Sunday school room and a church will know this story because we talk about it all the time. And what we talk about in this story is um, Jesus kind of having compassion on these people and, and doing this kind of nice miracle because there's this faith-filled little boy who comes and he brings his loaves and it's this feel-good story. And, and when Jesus feeds everybody, it turns into this glorified church picnic, right? That's kind of the idea in this. Well, this is anything but a church picnic. As a matter of fact, as I studied uh, this passage and studied the area of Galilee where this takes place, what was happening in Galilee at the time is there was a ton of unrest. And these people, um, they were feeling oppressed because Rome had occupied their area. They were feeling oppressed by this. And so this was kind of a rural area and they were trying to to plot an overthrow, to to kick out Rome. And they were hoping by means of a grassroots, grassroots movement, think of like these guys as like backwoods militia people, okay? These people were trying to, to overthrow this Roman oppression. And so they wanted them out of there. They wanted to, to get rid of them. And what they were doing at this point in history is they were waiting and looking for the person or the Messiah sent from God to be able to come there to help lead the charge to overthrow Rome so they could be, uh, so they could be restored to what they wanted to be. So, people, these Galileans are starting to come up with theories, and they're looking at Jesus, the miracle worker, and they're thinking, this guy might be it. Like, this might be the guy that we're, we're waiting for. And so this excitement, this anticipation in this rural area was at an all-time high because they thought Jesus could be the one to lead them to victory. So in this passage at the very beginning, you see that Jesus says that he's going to take his disciples, get in a boat, and retreat for a while. And so these people amongst this buzz and this frenzy who are putting all their hopes in him, they're like, well, no, 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 wait, Jesus, you can't leave us. You you're our guy. And so what happens is, imagine this scene, that these guys get in the boat with Jesus, the disciples, they head off uh, out on a lake, and there are not just like 14 or 15 people that get up, but thousands of people in a mob of people that start running along the shoreline. And Jesus is going a straight line across the lake, and they're running all the way around. Now, we don't know exactly how far they went, but the guys who were running had a lot longer way to go. And this crowd of literally a mob of thousands of people literally beat Jesus and his disciples to the spot. Now, we don't know if they, like, they somehow knew where he was going or if they just guessed, as a lucky guess that they knew where he was going, or whether Jesus was sailing in the boat and kind of saw them off on the shore and then veered toward them. But whatever the case was, in this time of maybe being exhausted, Jesus could have left. He could have gone somewhere else. He could have miraculously taken them somewhere else for all we know. But instead, he has, in verse 34, it says he has compassion on these people. And he goes ashore and he starts engaging them and he starts teaching them. In some of the other uh, renderings of this story in the Gospels, in the other Gospels, it says that he was healing people uh, during this time. And, and, And we know that Jesus could have escaped, he could have left, but he decided to engage them. Now, 
the reason that he does this, well, in this story, what we're supposed to see, one of the things that we're supposed to see, is that this actually points back. That this story is pointing back to a story in the Old Testament. Think about a parallel between the people of Israel and the Exodus. So first of all, you have the Israelites that are oppressed by the nation, the powerful nation of Egypt. And in this story, you have a bunch of Jews who are oppressed by Rome. Then you have uh, the Israelites in that God sent a leader in Moses to come and, and take them out, to deliver them out of this oppression and make them a people. And in this story, you have the Son of God, Jesus, who was sent by God to come and make a new people for himself. In uh, the story in Exodus, the Israelites were, found themselves in the wilderness without anything to eat. In this story, we find these Jews that are out in a desolate place in the wilderness without anything to eat. In the story of the Exodus, God miraculously provides manna for them to eat and provides for them in a tangible way. And in this story, Jesus does end up providing bread in a tangible way once again, but he provides something greater, and that is himself. Now, we see in this story that Jesus is, is a greater Moses. He's a new Moses that has come to claim his people. And, and the Galileans were right about Jesus, kind of. They were right that he was the one who was sent from God to save them. But they had part of it wrong. You see, they wanted Jesus to come and and take over by violence and killing others. And really, Jesus took over by allowing himself to be violently murdered, by getting killed. The the Galileans, they wanted Jesus to come and, and exhibit his power over people, to do it in a forceful way. And instead, Jesus came and he did it by sacrifice, by giving up his very life for them. These Galileans, they wanted him to come and establish a kingdom where he would sit on a physical throne and rule over these people. And Jesus, he wanted to come and he wanted to experience victory. and He wanted to rule and reign in the hearts of the people that were here. And so we see this amazing, uh, this amazing picture of what Jesus is actually doing. It's a foretaste of what's coming. And, and that is a major theme that runs throughout the book of Mark, how, how Jesus is gathering these people to himself. But actually in this story, this just serves as the setting for what's going on. Because in this story, what Mark is trying to communicate to us is actually what Jesus is teaching the disciples amidst this setting how he's uh, pointing them to greater realities that Jesus' adequacy meets their inadequacy. And this passage really is going to serve as a model. Really, for, it's, a, it's a shrunk down version of a model for the Christian life. And it's a shrunk down version of the model for Christian ministry. And I'll tell you how in just a little bit. But for right now, I want to pick up in the story and read what happens next. So uh, jump over to verse 35, the very next verse. And we catch up with Jesus and the disciples. And it says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themsel- or to buy themselves something to eat. Now these disciples, they come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, uh, we've got to let you know something. It, it's getting late, and these people are going to get hungry and we're a long way from anything, we have a little problem, but don't worry, we came up with a solution. 
get rid of these people. Like, send them away. Like, just, just get them out of here, and, and they'll take care of themselves. And Jesus says, no, that's not actually my plan. In verse 37, you see how Jesus responds. He says, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, these disciples, they weren't rich. Uh, this amount of money was uh, equivalent to probably about eight months of, of wage for a common laborer of a blue-collar person like one of these disciples. So they obviously don't have this money burning a hole in their pocket. And so this task of feeding 5,000 men and potentially thousands of women and children on top of that is completely impossible. And it's clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that they are in a place of inadequacy in this passage. What Jesus has asked them to do is beyond their capability. And, capability. and Jesus has led them into this situation. He has set them up for this situation. And he is teaching something in this situation about their inadequacy. And I want to just pause for a second and ask, do you ever feel this kind of inadequacy? in life, in any area of life. Maybe as, as a spouse, as a husband or a wife, you know you're supposed to be a, a loving husband, a loving wife, but you just realize that in, in the mix of life, you just don't have what it takes. Like the idea of marriage is great, the you know, honeymoon is great, the wedding was great, but now when it comes to the day in and day out, laying down your life for someone like that just ain't really happening. Like, you don't have the ability to do that. And you're thinking as you come in here this morning, man, I, I messed up. I, I blew it on communication again with them. I, I you know, I, I offended them again. Like, this keeps happening and keeps happening. You feel inadequate being a spouse. Or how about this for parents? I think this is a huge one. Now, I just got to say something on behalf of the other parents here. This is a, a little secret that I'm going to let you out. It's going to let out into public. And, and, and here's my announcement. We're all just winging it. Like, we don't know what's going on. We're, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants on this thing and trying to figure it out. And it's really hard. And I'm like only four years into parenting. And after the last week that my kids gave me, my life expectancy might only be about another five years. I don't know. It's a little bit difficult, but for real, especially for stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads, if you're in the room here today, man, the idea of getting up every morning and feeding your kids breakfast and then cleaning up after them and doing it joyfully, and the idea of, of engaging them and being creative with them to help them learn and doing it without anyone watching, and doing that joyfully. The idea of, of getting them bottles and changing diapers and hearing their cries all day long, like, in doing that joyfully. The idea of, of raising them up to be a responsible, disciplined human being and, and being a person who points them to Jesus, like, you feel kind of inadequate, right? This is, a, I just let the cat out of the bag for anyone who's thinking about having kids. It's a little bit difficult, or what about just being a disciple? What about just following Jesus? Like sometimes we can think, yeah, well, all I got to do is love God, love people. I've read that before. I'm going to be good to go. Well, then you start thinking, well, wait, but I should actually be reading my Bible. Like I should open my Bible and 
read like every day. And I should also, yeah, I should be praying for people instead of just saying, oh, I'll pray for you, and then walking away and not actually doing it, right? Yeah, we do that. I, I also think, man, there's, there's other areas of life, whether it's uh, like, oh, I should be investing in my neighbors. I should be sharing the gospel with my coworkers. I should maybe serve in church. I should maybe go to or lead a city group. Uh, I should be discipling people or investing in someone around me. The list goes on and you're like, oh my goodness, I am woefully inadequate for this job too. At work, Maybe your job is hard. Your boss is breathing down your neck. You feel like you're not performing like you should. You feel inadequate. Maybe at school, you have a GPA that you have to keep up to keep up a scholarship, and the homework keeps piling on. You feel inadequate. Maybe for some of you, uh, you, you don't have a job, or you need a better job, and, and you're just not landing the job that you need, and time isn't on your side, and, and money isn't on your side. You feel inadequate, and some of you might walk in here, maybe you have a, a medical condition and you feel like the truths that weigh your body down of that medical condition feels a lot more true and entrapping than the freedom that Jesus offers and the truths that we were singing on the screen earlier and you feel inadequate. And this is where Jesus specializes. And he not only allows us to go through these things, but at times, like in this story, he leads us into these things to show us that his adequacy meets our inadequacy. So what do we do? Well, I don't know if there's always a a pat answer for what to do, but this week I was thinking about uh, my two-year-old daughter, Liv. She's our middle child, and she has, I I was telling some of you after this 11 a.m. service last week, um, that she has this amazing ability. She specializes in getting hurt. Like she, I I don't know what it is, but, but I think it's partly because she's pretty brave, and then partly because she's not probably going to grow up to be an Olympic athlete, if you know what I mean. But whatever the case is, when I'm home with her, I've kind of done the math and calculated in my head, and it feels like about every 15 minutes she's crying. She either falls down or stubs her toe or hits her head or slips on something and falls down. She just did it about 30 minutes ago before the service, actually, right over there. But in this moment that she does that, what she does is she stands up, and she's crying, and she walks over to me, and she reaches for me. And I pick her up, and I grab her, and I hold her in that moment. Now, what she hasn't quite figured out yet is that I don't have, usually have the ability to do anything about what's going on with the pain that she might be experiencing. But what she does is she just wants me. She wants me to comfort her, me to hold her. And I think that we could learn something from this in terms of our own inadequacy. That in these moments, and yes, Jesus actually is capable of fixing our circumstances, but in these moments, the call is to lean into Jesus and keep following. And very, just, very simply just say, Jesus, I, I can't do it. Help me. Jesus, I feel overwhelmed. Help me. Jesus, I am riddled with anxiety Help me. Jesus, I don't have what it takes to be a stay-at-home mom. Help me. Jesus, I can't, uh, I can't get out of this financial distress. Would you help me? I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough wife. Would you 
help me. And we keep following because his adequacy meets our inadequacy. I want to keep going and further illustrate this by continuing in the story. So I want to pick up in verse 38 where we see the very next verse where Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Now pretend like you haven't heard this story before because think about this for a second. There are five loaves of bread. There's two fish. There are five, maybe 10 or 15, 20,000 people. Who knows? There are thousands of people here. They're trying to feed them with just what you could hold in one armful. And it's going to take, obviously, a complete and utter miracle. And that's what Jesus does in this situation. Verse 41, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, Jesus is using this story as a landmark event in the lives of these disciples in order to galvanize the idea of, in their head that this is how the Christian life works. This is how Christian ministry works. His adequacy meets their inadequacy. These disciples, they faced an impossible situation, a monumental task that they in no way had any ability to fulfill. They had five loaves. They had two fish. And Jesus takes what little they bring in their inadequacy and he provides, he multiplies, and he satisfies and he hands the bread to them to be able to distribute, to, to mark in their minds, hey, this is how I work. This is how my adequacy is going to work through you. And they hand it out to the crowds that are sitting there on the grass. Now, we said that this story looks back to another story in the Old Testament, in the Exodus. Well, this story also looks forward to another story that's going to come up. Because there's going to be a time when these same 12 disciples are going to be in a room with Jesus in the upper room at the Last Supper, and he's going to have the same kind of bread. And in the same exact order, he's going to look up to heaven, he's going to bless it, and he's going to break it, and he's going to hand it out to these disciples. And in that moment, in that Last Supper, which was happening just hours before Jesus was crucified. This bread that he gave symbolized his body that would be broken for them on the cross, that would be murdered for him on their account. If there isn't any greater picture of Jesus' adequacy for their inadequacy, what better picture could you find than the cross? He's communicating this message loud and queer, clear that this perfection meets his or their imperfection. And this is not just for us, or it's not just for them, but it's for us as well. That Jesus on the cross, when he broke that, or in the upper room, when he broke that bread and he handed it out to them, that bread, that body that was broken, it was broken for us too. His perfection met our 
imperfection. You see, at the core of the gospel message and at the core of Jesus' message is not that if you try hard enough or that if you grow and mature into adequacy, everything will be okay, but it's rather that we are always inadequate and we need Jesus to meet us in that place. And he did it once and for all as we were riddled with sin, as we just sang before, and, and Jesus intervened and he took our his our, our imperfection and he gave us his perfection by dying for our sins. Now, that's why Jesus explains in John 6, after the same story John tells, the feeding of the 5,000, he explains that, that the real bread, as he comes around, he comes around the next day to these the same people who experienced this miracle, and he said, hey, that bread that you tasted yesterday, that satisfied you and that was good, but the real bread that you need is actually the bread of life. It's actually me. Which is why Jesus doesn't always offer us a, a, a life situation quick fix. That he doesn't make our spouse perfect so our life is going to be easier. He doesn't just automatically make our kids obedient. He he doesn't uh, just make our job easy or our job hunt easy or our school easy. He rather leads us through our inadequacy so that we will be forced to rely on him and look at him as the bread of life, the actual thing that we need. That what we really need is not a quick fix, but what we actually need is Jesus. We actually need the spiritual bread of life more than we need physical bread. It's a more core need that we have. Now, clear back at the beginning, I said that this serves as kind of a model for Christian life and a model for Christian ministry, too. And we've talked about more of the life part, and I just want to hit on this Christian ministry thing because I think this is very uh, timely for us, as it was for the disciples. You see, uh, the disciples in their ministry ventures going forward, they were just getting started. But what was going to happen in maybe just a year after this or so is that Jesus, after calling them, he would actually send them out and he would call them to go and be the church to, to, and go to make disciples, to make an impact, to turn the world upside down. And we find ourselves here at Providence Church in very similar shoes to these disciples because we have just embarked on planting a new church where the same Jesus, this guy, called us into this and he has sent us out to make an impact in our city by making disciples. He has ministry things in front of us that we're going to do. And so we're kind of in a similar place by being called by Jesus and being sent to make an impact in our world. Now, as we tease this out a little bit, if you're anything like me when it comes to inadequacy, there's kind of two categories that things fall into uh, when it comes to ministry. So there's one category over here. That these are the things that make you feel uh, completely inadequate, the things that are completely over your head. And so for me, um, evangelism feels like that. Uh, preaching feels like that. Planting a church and pastoring a church feels like that. Some of you are like, wait, why are you the pastor if all these things are overwhelming to you? That's why we have Andrew. He's a smart guy, right? And you have these categories of things that, are, that, are, that are, make you feel uh, overwhelmed and inadequate. And then you have over here on this other side, you got things, uh, you got things that you just, you know, you got it. Like, oh, that's easy. And for me, there's a few things. Like, if I sit down to do a one-on-one discipleship meeting, I'm like, oh, I've done this hundreds of times. I, I got it. I, I, I can wing this thing. Or 
Uh, for me, something that's easy is I've worked with college students a lot, and if someone comes to me with, like, dating and relationship issues, I'm like, oh, this is easy. I can tell you what to do. I can give you a nugget of wisdom and send you off on your way. It's going to be perfect. Or even, like, leading a city group. I've done it enough times where I feel like I can, I mean, I can wing it if I need to. Now, some of you city group people in here who are in my group might be thinking, well, that's why it goes the way it does when you're in charge. So think about your list. You have things that fall into either of these categories. And for the issues over here, the ones that you feel like you got, this passage is a wake-up call to us. It's a humbling thing to us because it reminds us that in no way do we have power on our own to create any sort of spiritual transformation, to create any sort of spiritual fruit. And this reality should drive us back to our knees and realize that even in the areas where we feel the most naturally gifted, where we have the most experience, that we are still completely and utterly reliant on Jesus for what he can do through us in these things. And then over here, for the other category, these things that feel uh, kind of over your head, man, would you be reminded of the five loaves and the two fishes? The fact that, that Jesus created something from basically nothing. He can do what he wants. And you know what? I've seen this kind of thing happen. I've seen it right in front of my eyes. I've, I've seen, I remember one time I was uh, preaching a sermon to a, crew of, to a crowd of people and I was tasked with speaking about how to share your faith. Now, so I was talking about evangelism, and I was uh, so incredibly nervous leading up to it because I thought, what are the people in the crowd who are not Christians going to think? This is going to be so awkward. And if not awkward, I thought it would be at the very least weird, or, or at the most, maybe it would be very offensive to people. And so I nervously got up there, told people uh, about sharing their faith from a Bible passage, and we got done, and I walked off the stage, and I'm like, oh boy, I hope that wasn't bad. And no more than a few minutes later, a guy came up to me, and uh, a guy that I knew wasn't a Christian, and he said, hey, Jared, I know that God spoke to me as you were talking up there. And after that, I actually want to give my life to Jesus. And I'm like, wait, wait, were you listening? Like, are you sure that you want to do that? And I just noted, or I observed in that moment that Jesus can take what we bring and he can multiply it to whatever he wants. And so in this place, man, this gives us confidence that he can use us, that he can use Providence Church to change our city, that he could, use, he could use our city group, your city group, to make disciples. If you are a, a, a really uh, a person who doesn't like people, maybe you consider yourself kind of socially awkward, he could use you to, to bring people, to invite people to our church. Man, if, if you've never really sat down and, and walked through, counseled someone before, he could actually use you to, to help a friend go through a hurting situation. He could use you to counsel them. If you are painfully shy and introverted, God could use you to be an evangelist in our city. The list goes on. If you're a new Christian, Jesus could use you to disciple, to invest in another Christian. It's possible. Jesus multiplies our ministry, his adequacy meets our inadequacy. So as we close today, there's three things, three truths that that I I think that we really mine from this passage that I would just like to 
for you to, to hear and, and just sit on as you go out from here. And they're this. <clears throat> the first one. Jesus was, is, and always will be in control. We see from this passage in the way he multiplies his own creation that he can do what he wants. And, and the reality is, is that Jesus is not intimidated by your current situation. He's not surprised by your current situation, and he is completely capable of handling your situation exactly how he wants to. The second thing is this. You will never graduate from inadequacy. These disciples, before the story, they came and, and uh, or they went out and they were healing people. They were preaching. They were, they were exercising demons, doing all of this. And they were probably feeling pretty high and they came back and, and then they realized their inadequacy once again. And this reminds us that that Jesus doesn't have a plan for each of us to grow into being self-sufficient, to being maturely adequate, but rather he has a plan to grow and mature you through your inadequacy as you consistently rely on him. Which brings me to the third point, and that is this, that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the goal. He's central. He's the thing that we're shooting for. And at the end of this miracle that we see in this passage, we shouldn't be left saying, wow, Jesus just gives people what they want at random times. No, we should say he himself has given himself to us to have, and it is the ultimate satisfying thing, the bread of life. Just like the crowds were satisfied on the bread, we can be satisfied in him. And whatever you're facing today, know that what you truly need, what truly satisfies is Jesus himself, his adequacy for our inadequacy. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your miraculous work, for your life-changing work, God, for your adequacy that was provided on our behalf, very centrally in the picture of the cross, that you met us in a way that we didn't deserve, that, that you gave us something that was beyond us, and now we can have an amazing relationship with you. God, I pray that as we walk out these doors later today, and as we sing these songs, and as we observe communion, God, I pray that we, in our inadequacies, as we realize those, we would realize that you are completely perfect, completely adequate. You are the thing that completely satisfies, and I pray that we wouldn't run from you, but we would run to you, that we would be driven to our knees in prayer, that we would be a a praying desperate people, that that not only uh, headwise know these truths, but in actions and in our heart, we actually live these things out and proclaim with our lives, with our words, with our actions, Jesus, that you truly satisfy. Jesus, uh, make it clear the steps that you have in front of us so that we can walk with you, so that we can follow you, so your your adequacy can meet our inadequacy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.